1: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Next Tier Oilfield Solutions Earnings Conference Call to discuss our second quarter 2021 results. With me today are Robert Drummond, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Kenny Pichu, Chief Financial Officer. Before we get started, I would like to direct your attention to the forward-looking statements disclaimer contained in the news release that we issued yesterday afternoon. Which is currently posted in the investor relations section of the company's website. Our calling includes statements that speak to the company's expectations, outlook, or predictions of the future, which are considered forward-looking statements. These forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties, many of which are beyond the company's control, which could cause our actual results to differ materially from those expressed in or implied by these statements. We undertake no obligation to revise or update publicly any forward-looking statements, except as may be required under applicable securities laws. We refer you to next year's disclosure regarding risk factors and forward-looking statements in our annual report on Form 10-K, subsequently filed quarterly report on Form 10-Q, and other Securities and Exchange Commission filings. Additionally, our comments today also include non-GAAP financial measures. Additional details and a reconciliation to the most directly comparable GAAP financial measures are included in our earnings release for the second quarter of 2021, which is posted on our website. With that, I will return the call over to Robert Drummond, Chief Executive Officer of next year.
2: Thank you, Kevin, and thanks everyone for joining us today. Yesterday, we announced the strategic acquisition of Alamo Pressure Pumping, a leading Permian well-completion service provider. Before getting more into this transaction and its significant benefits to next year, I'd like to review our second quarter and ongoing results. Activity continues to recover, and visibility into the second half of the year improved along with the plans of some of our legacy customers. We're now set up for growth in excess of 25% for consecutive quarters, and the visibility gave our team the confidence to make some strategic decisions to ramp the hiring of people and prepare equipment ahead of our high Q3 growth expectations. These decisions, though impacting Q2 results, put our team in a great position to capitalize on visibility of growth into the back half of 2021 and into 2022, where we expect a much more linear rebound in relative activity growth. We deployed three additional frac fleets during Q2, including two simofrac fleets, and exited the quarter with 21 fleets deployed. As noted, late in the quarter, we also accelerated the fleet activation cost for two more tier four dual fuel simofrac fleets. To be deployed into Q3. It was worth noting that SimoFrac fleets can require as many as double the number of pumps of a normal zipper frac job. Against this growing base of activity, total revenue grew 28% to $292 million. Our wireline, cementing, and coil tubing services lines continued to improve margins and increase activity. Overall, While we're pleased with the sequential top-line growth and have confidence in the continuation of that trend into Q3, unexpected transitory operational factors and fleet activation costs impacted Q2 profitability. Despite this impact to near-term profitability, we are confident that the investments made will allow us to begin to harvest the benefits during the back half of the year and set the business up for great trajectory into 2022. With that as an overview, I'd like to share more about what we're seeing in the market. Commodity prices continue to maintain strong improvement and momentum. Relative to the averages in March of this year, crude oil prices at the end of July are up 19%, while natural gas prices are up 47% over the same period. This marks the latest stair-step improvement in commodity prices as economic activity, along with demand, continues to grow in tune with reduced global economic restrictions. The supply side remains very disciplined overall, thanks to the leadership from both OPEC Plus and U.S. shale producers. At the end of July, and compared to the average price realized in June of last year, oil and gas prices are up 93% and 129% respectively. With this as a backdrop, demand for all of our services is increasing. As we continue our fleet deployments into Q3, enabling what we expect to be our second consecutive quarter with 25 plus percent revenue growth, we grew our team substantially in preparation. From the beginning of April through the end of June, we added over 400 next-tier employees across our product lines to support our growing field operations. This cadence and level of hiring was significantly more than we had originally anticipated. Also, core to our execution is equipment quality and maintenance. This commitment is the foundation of our market readiness initiative and aligns with our low-cost, low-carbon strategy. Further. The increased frack intensity associated with Sima operations is changing the maintenance requirements and schedules in a manner that increases cost and requires ongoing adjustments to our commercial and operating models. Investments in our equipment over the last 18 months are the foundation for future profitable growth and we have continued to make progress on converting our fleet to use natural gas as a primary fuel. From the beginning of May through the first week of July, we deployed over 100 pumps, the majority of which are Tier 4 dual fuel, a market that continues to be sold out. This included a Simufrac fleet deployed in early July. We also began preparing for two more Tier 4 dual fuel fleets in the coming months, with at least one being for Simufrac and all. For legacy customers returning to work while we have continued to invest in converting our fleet to support our low carbon strategy i want to emphasize that we are removing conventional diesel diesel powered engines from the market in the process in addition to enhancing the fleet with more dual fuel capability we continue to standardize the fleet with our proprietary frac mdt control system which enables more digital interfaces with the equipment and lowering total cost of operations. The market continues to improve and we are responding rapidly to scale our operations, but the activity growth has not been linear over the past few months. The market continues to improve, responding rapidly to scale our operations, but the activity growth has not been linear over the last few months. The industry recovery over the last year or so included extreme volatility in frack schedules, which, combined with continued increase in frack intensity, is posing unique challenges across the industry. Our team is skilled at navigating the staffing, equipment readiness, and operational challenges associated with these factors. However, the process of meeting these challenges was even more pronounced in the second quarter than originally expected. As we responded to an unusual concentrated level of growth, these dynamics in conjunction with continued increases in frac intensity demands created transitory startup costs and challenges in Q2. While next year has been a leader in deploying the simulf process with our customers at ever-increasing treatment rates, with hundreds of wells completed over the last two years, more equipment on each job cannot be the only answer to its adoption across the industry. New technologies must be applied to achieve optimal injectivity and improve the overall performance and utilization of the equipment on location. In the second quarter, Next Year launched a new offering from our lateral sciences portfolio called Simufract Stage Pairing. This technique reduces the operator's cost per barrel by taking existing drilling data, analyzing the downhole rock properties, and matching the four or six wells across the simulfrac pad to create optimized pair for every simulfrac stage. We believe utilization of this technique will ultimately improve the in- injectivity of the frac treatments, improve the long-term production of the treated wells, and lower the equipment costs for each operation. All with minimal changes to the current SimoFrac processes and workflows being utilized today. SimoFrac stage pairing will help connect our extensive SimoFrac operational experience to real reservoir properties. We believe that this technology will allow NextTier to deploy a more cost-effective solution that delivers higher production to the operator. Associated with the growth in frac intensity, our incremental cost and enhanced maintenance requirements for some of the equipment. In Q2, we tested the boundaries of our Simulfact experience and pushed to achieve rates higher than we had previously reached, which we underestimated in our Q2 commercial agreements. We are addressing these issues with our customers as we exited Q2 and enter Q3. Compounding the financial impact of concentrated growth in the second quarter was an isolated fire-related incident on one of our fleets, resulting in a total loss. Due to our team's training, quick action, and adherence to strict safety protocols, I'm glad to report that there were no injuries to any parties at the well site. The lessons learned from the potential root causes have been applied across the overall fleet and supplier base to further de-risk future operations. We responded quickly and have already taken possession of the replacement equipment, which is largely being funded by insurance proceeds. To quantify the impact, our second quarter results included approximately $10 million of EBITDA degradation associated with these combined startup inefficiencies and operational factors. We believe this rapid ramp in activity during Q2 and Q3 is unprecedented and transitory. The cost incurred as our equipment and employees are deployed have significant impact on startup asset utilization and ultimately our financial performance. However, the associated operational adjustments made are already benefiting the business. As an example of the lessons learned, late in the quarter, we made a strategic decision to accelerate preventative maintenance processes in preparation for additional Q3 Simofrac fleet deployments. We expect Q3 revenue to increase at least another 25% sequentially and have already deployed the first of these fleets. The associated out of period fleet activation costs taken in Q2 are estimated at approximately $7 million. We made the decision to get ahead of the growth preparation rather than try to maximize Q2 profitability. Pricing continues to improve off the very low base resulting from concessions made during the downturn. At the same time, we have seen the benefits of gradual pricing improvements being offset by ongoing white space in the calendar. While pricing is improving, Overall economics and contract structure are below our requirements for deploying additional horsepower. Except for the three previously mentioned fleets of Tier 4 dual fuel equipment addressing legacy customer demand, we do not anticipate deploying additional horsepower or increasing headcount throughout the remainder of the year unless the economics are much improved. We now plan to maximize the earnings opportunity created by the significant revenue growth we are experiencing. We have a significant amount of capacity deployed with the major cost to deploy already funded, which we believe positions us for a strong half to and beyond. We believe we are now incredibly well positioned as a leader in natural gas powered equipment, which constitutes a large portion of our deployed horsepower today. We have remained strategic throughout the downturn to best position next tier for the eventual market recovery. With the recovery underway, we are positioned with one of the industry's largest fleets of tier four dual fuel equipment and a fully integrated completion solutions offering. This includes our power solutions business, which began commercial operations in July, supplying compressed natural gas and making it easy for our customers to consume their own Field gas. Our investments go beyond just gas powered horsepower and surface equipment. Through the downturn, we remain focused on the long term role that digital will play in our future operations. This focused approach, primarily investments in our Next Hub digital infrastructure and MDT control systems, has allowed Next Tier to reduce overall well cost, improve well site ESG performance and optimize completions to drive increased production. However, we believe we have only just begun to scratch the surface of the benefits of our digital investment. At the recent URTC conference, we announced the launch of a strategic technology partnership with CORVA, the leader in real-time drilling and completion analytics. We expect this partnership will allow NextTier to forego millions of dollars in development and immediately deliver a best-in-class customer portal to each of our frac fleets. We believe this partnership allows NextTier to rapidly increase our deployment of digital offerings, harnessing the power of data and visualization to deliver on our low-cost, low-carbon strategy. We believe the recent significant investments in our equipment and staffing Will be harvested in 2022 and 2023 as market conditions continue to improve, which combined with an expected pricing reset should drive further momentum in our earnings power next year and beyond. i will now, now like to pass a call over to Kenny to discuss our second quarter results.
3: Thanks, Robert. Second quarter revenue totaled $292 million, compared to $228 million in the first quarter marking a sequential increase of 28%, driven primarily by increased activity levels and added capacity across all our product and service lines. Total second quarter adjusted EBITDA was approximately $5 million compared to $1 million in the first quarter. Mainly driven by revenue activity growth in all our business lines, partially offset by approximately $10 million in costs related to operational inefficiencies, including the impact of the fire incident and startup costs to support the high level of activity growth. In addition, we face an impact of approximately $7 million from future readiness and startup costs, consisting mainly of labor and maintenance opex. In our completion services segment, second quarter revenue totaled $269 million compared to $109 million in the first quarter a sequential increase of approximately 29%. Completion service segment adjusted gross profit totaled $20 million, compared to $15 million in the first quarter. During the second quarter, we operated the equivalent of 18 fully utilized fleets, exiting with 21 fleets deployed, with additional capacity of people and equipment for two additional fleets, one of which was a tier four dual fuel simul fleet deployed in the first week of July. On a fully utilized basis, annualized adjusted gross profit per fleet, which includes FRAC and bundled wireline, totaled $4 million, flat to the first quarter, mostly due to startup costs incurred to deploy the additional Q3 fleets already mentioned. In our well construction and intervention services segment, revenue totaled $23 million, an increase of approximately 21% compared to $19 million in the first quarter. Adjusted gross profit totaled $3 million compared to $2 million in the first quarter. EBITDA for the second quarter was $15 million. When excluding management net adjustments of $10 million, adjusted EBITDA for the second quarter was $5 million. Management adjustments included a gain on insurance proceeds from the fire a reduction in pre-merger tax audit estimate, and a gain on a financial investment, partially offset by stock compensation expense, bad debt expense related to the well-support services divestiture, and estimated legal expenses related to pre-merger litigation. Approximately $9 million of total net management adjustments were cash, mostly related to the insurance proceeds. Second quarter, selling, general, and administrative expense totaled $21 million, compared to $16 million in the first quarter. Excluding management net adjustments, adjusted at SG&A expense totaled $20 million, down from $21 million in the prior quarter. We continue to hold our SG&A flat despite, despite our strong revenue and activity growth. Turning to the balance sheet, we exited the second quarter with $250 million of cash compared to approximately $272 million in the first quarter, driven by ongoing capital investment and our low-cost, low-carbon strategy, partially offset by a strong sequential recovery in collections activity. Total debt at the end of the quarter was $334 million, net of debt discounts and deferred finance costs and excluding finance lease obligations, compared to $335 million in the first quarter. Net debt at the end of the second quarter was approximately $84 million. We exited the second quarter with total available liquidity of approximately $372 million, comprised of cash of $250 million and availability of approximately $122 million under our asset-based credit facility. Cash flow provided by operations was $15 million, driven mostly by strong cash collections. Cash flow used in investing activities totaled $34 million, driven mostly by additional investments in our Tier 4 dual fuel carbon reducing technologies, maintenance capex, and investments in our power solutions business. This resulted in free cash flow use of $19 million for the second quarter. With that, I would like to pass it back to
2: Robert to discuss our acquisition of Alamo in greater detail. Thanks, Kenny. Yesterday, we announced the agreement to acquire 100% of the pressure pumping operations of Alamo Pressure Pumping. We are incredibly excited at the power of our combined platform and our ability to make a transaction that fits hand in glove with the low cost, low carbon strategy we have been communicating for the past year. I encourage you to take a look at our investor presentation posted on our website. Let's start with a brief overview of Alamo. Headquartered in Stanton, Texas, in the heart of the Midland Basin, and founded in 2017, Alamo is positioned today as the largest private pressure pumper in the Permian, as measured by active fleets, and one of the largest Permian pressure pumpers, as measured by next-generation horsepower. The company primarily operates in the Midland Basin, and has a superior track record for safety and execution of on behalf of its high-quality and efficiency-focused customer base. The company's assets are primarily comprised of nine hydraulic fracturing fleets, a large majority of which are powered with the latest CAT Tier 4 engines, and most of which are naturally gas-powered or easily converted to Tier 4 DGB. In total, the company's fleet is comprised of approximately 460,000 of some of our industry's Newest hydraulic horsepower, nearly all of which is fully utilized. We'd like to share several key strategic highlights of the transaction. The acquisition of Alamo accelerates and magnifies the impact of our next generation technology strategy and is entirely complementary with our low-cost, low-carbon ESG-focused approach. Over the last several quarters, we have invested in the conversion of existing horsepower to tier four dual fuel technology, today's acquisition of Alamo's highly utilized CAT tier four fleet with significant DGB capabilities combined with our own secures the leadership position in this important and sold out portion of the market. Pro forma for this transaction, more than half of the combined next tier fleet will be natural gas powered and standardized around a CAT platform providing comprehensive engine management, end-to-end enterprise telemetrics, a seamless operational system, and a low total cost of ownership. We think we have the most gas-powered fleets deployed in the market, which includes all dual fuel and e frac combined. Pro forma, our fleet will be a Permian leader for low-carbon well completions. As a result of this combination, Next tier will be the third-largest deployed fleet in the U.S. land and a leader in the Permian, meaningfully adding to our presence in this growing market. Alamo's predominantly Midland Basin-focused Permian position, combined with Next tier's existing Delaware Basin-centric position, provides attractive intra-basin diversification within the Permian. This new dynamic strengthens Nexteer's overall attractive geographic diversification that now covers most major producing basins in the U.S. In addition, Alamo's customer base is highly complementary to Nexteer's, making the combined company's customer portfolio truly best in class. We also believe this acquisition will be easy to integrate into Nexteer while providing significant pull-through opportunities. The Alamo president and CEO, Joe McKee, will continue to run the Alamo operations under the Alamo brand without disruption to their existing customers or employees. Joe and I will pursue customer value-added opportunities to plug into next tier's well-established digital capabilities, last-mile logistics, and newly established power solution capabilities. This will be a relatively simple and low-risk integration process. Since Alamo's operations are based on a single, high-performing operating base, while we expect to create an estimated $10 million in synergies and generate additional revenue associated with integrating wireline pump-down perforating and last-mile logistics, the value of this merger is not driven by cost synergies, but by accelerating and providing for long-term cash flow generation. As we have successfully launched our power solutions, integrated fuel services, the addition of significant low carbon natural gas powered hydraulic horsepower to the next tier platform expands the potential for additional value creation for next year and our customers. Before I turn the call over to Kenny to discuss the financial rationale of the deal,
4: I want to point out
2: that we were very successful at conserving conserving our cash during the COVID downturn so as to give us the ability to make strategic moves like this one at the right time. We have frequently stated that the strength of our balance sheet was a key differentiator for next year, and now is the time we shift to using it offensively. I believe that this is exactly the right time for this acquisition. With that, I'd like to ask Kenny to provide more details around the financial merits of this acquisition. Thanks Robert.
3: I will now share the financial rationale for the transaction. First, attractive valuation and accretion. At a transaction valuation of approximately two hundred and sixty eight million dollars, we are acquiring roughly four hundred and sixty thousand of predominantly next gen or easily convertible horsepower for five hundred and eighty two dollars per horsepower and a multiple of approximately three point four times based on expected achieved EBITDA earnout thresholds which is significantly below next year's current trading multiples and that of our public peers. Second, accelerating free cash flow generation. Today's transaction accelerates next year's path to positive free cash flow in early 2022, driving shareholder value and improving next year's already strong liquidity position. Third, maintaining a strong and flexible balance sheet. Pro forma for the transaction we are positioned with $272 million of total liquidity. Additionally, with the accelerated path to free cash flow generation, we meaningfully improve our ability to drive cash flow back onto the balance sheet with a high-performing set of assets. We remain positioned with no near-term debt maturities, which combined with our strong liquidity position allows us to continue to remain both offensive and defensive. Before passing things back over to Robert for closing comments, I'd like to comment on our outlook. As macro conditions and commodity prices further improve and become increasingly constructive, we are seeing further improvement in demand for completion services. For standalone next year, our calendar is expected to be effectively full for the third quarter. We expect to operate 21 fully utilized frack fleets during the quarter and forecast to exit the quarter with 23 deployed fleets. In addition, we will be adding highly utilized capacity from Alamo with the transaction close date expected at the end of August. Combined and based on this forecast of transaction close timing, we expect to generate total revenue of between 390 and $420 million. This forecast reflects a sequential increase of between 35 and 44%, driven by the addition of Alamo's business for approximately one month, and previously mentioned increased tier four dual-fuel work that carries improved profitability. On this base of activity, on a combined basis, we expect to generate at least $30 million of adjusted EBITDA in the third quarter. The increased cadence of profitability of next year at the back half of the quarter, and the addition of Alamo The Q3 monthly exit run rate is expected to reach approximately $18 to $20 million. With our fleet upgrade program largely completed during the first half of the year, in addition to the fleet we added in early July, we are expected to convert two additional fleets to Tier 4 dual fuel during the second half of the year for standalone next year. We will provide additional details on Alamo's upgrade program following the completion of the transaction. For the full year of 2021, we reiterate that the second half of the year will see increased strategic CAPEX investments as compared to the first half of the year, in addition to the increased capacity for maintenance CAPEX of additional fleets for next year and the Alamo transaction. Our investments for the year are primarily comprised of Tier 4 dual fuel upgrades, investments in our power solutions business and maintenance. Our readiness program, in addition to our next hub, Equipment Health Management Program, is demonstrating value. As year-to-date, we have been able to achieve frac maintenance CAPEX spend below the $2.5 million target set for 2021. As we noted, 2021 is an investment year for next year. As we continue to invest in our low-cost, low-carbon strategy, including Tier 4 dual fuel conversions and our power solutions business. Combined with the investments we made in 2020, we are positioning next year to harvest these investments in the coming years. These investments allow us to high grade and standardize a significant portion of our equipment base, which is now more marketable and overall is expected to reduce costs and emission, emissions for next year in our client base. With that, I'll hand it back to Robert for closing
5: comments.
2: Thanks, Kenny. In closing, I would like to reiterate that the startup challenges and strategic investments that we faced in Q2 are transitory in nature and do not change our strategy or position as a leader in low cost, low carbon operations. We have great momentum going into H2 with returning customers that are adding to an already strong existing customer. We are seeing success in our ability to integrate additional scope at the well site and our customers are realizing the value created through integration. We are working closely with our partners to improve our commercial agreements to address the changing Simufrac environment, which is expected to show up in our Q3 profitability. We believe macro fundamentals are setting up to be foundationally stronger and more supportive of a stable commodity price with global demand increasing and balanced long-term supply fundamentals. Our investments made in 2020 and 2021 on enhancing and standardizing our fleet combined with our acquisition of Alamo, accelerates our free cash flow and strategic plans to deliver higher efficiency, lower cost integrated completion operations with a byproduct of reduced emissions for our customers. We believe that we are now positioned for the right part of the market at the right time. With that, operator, we'd like to open up the calls for Q&A. Thank you. Thank you
0: for standing by. This is the conference operator. Welcome to the Great West Life Co. second quarter 2021 results conference call. I would now like to turn the conference over to Mr. Paul Mann, President and CEO of Great West Life Co. Please go ahead.
4: Thank you, Ariel. Good afternoon and welcome to Great West Life Co. second quarter 2021 conference call. We hope you and your families are safe and healthy and we continue to encourage vaccination for all those who are eligible. Joining me on today's call is Gary McNicholas, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer, and together we'll deliver today's formal. Went ahead
6: in period, so some is in uh, in your expected profit, some is in your ex- experience gains. Uh, we had some um, expense and other fee gains in uh, in the U.S. Um, both in terms of the existing block and uh, um, and the uh, um, the newly acquired uh, mass mutual business. So. I'm just trying to think if there's anything that would I particularly call out there. There's uh, again a fair bit of uh, expense discipline uh, that um, Ed had noted earlier in the U.S. relative to what we baked into the expected profit. So that's the geography. So that's why we're seeing. Uh, when I look at the the charts here, most of the U.S. ones were were related to uh, expenses and fees. That's what was driving them there.
7: Yeah, I mean, it's funny. overall expenses and fees were a hit of negative. Twenty post tax, or ne- I hit a negative 22 free pre-tax. Yet, uh, I, I yeah, guess that's uh, to get an SOE on Empower. Or that's what I mean. That'd be the key thing. If we had an SOE on Empower, like you have one for Putnam, that would be helpful. Um, so, and and just as a as a as a quick follow-up, if we went uh, the the assets were up six percent year-over-year, but the fee income was up nine at Empower. Is was there any change in mix, or what? What what was driving that?
4: Uh, Gary, why don't you start, but maybe Ed can speak to um, the nature of the fact that you know a lot of the uh, fees are asset based, but there's also uh, other related fees, and that can uh, d- we can see growth there. And, I, and you know, Ed was making reference to managed accounts as an example.
6: Yeah, and I, I think uh, I, I think that is it's more of a, a mixed question, Paul. So maybe we we'll go straight to Ed on that as to how that's uh, that's played out.
8: Yeah, I, I certainly managed accounts, uh the the growth year over year is up dramatically in, in, in managed accounts. Um and so that that's definitely a contributor to the mix that we're seeing, the nine percent versus six percent on assets. Um we can get we can get you more more of a breakdown on that. But that was a big contributing factor for sure.
9: Okay.
7: Thanks so much. Hey, okay, thanks, Tom. Great.
0: Our next question comes from Doug Young of Desjardins Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
9: Hi. Good afternoon. Hello? Can you hear me?
4: Yeah, we can hear you,
9: Doug. Okay. There we go. Okay, so just from a use of capital perspective, I mean, there's lots going on. I mean, you've mentioned some of these, obviously, the Peru deal, you're buying the ARC business for 230 million euros, and you're buying claims secure in Canada. I'm just trying to understand, you know, uh, the, the latter two, so the ARC and the claims secure. Is this financed with cash on hand, which I think it is, or are you borrowing? And should we be thinking about there being an impact on the LICAT ratio from, uh, from these transactions?
4: Um, well i'll start out by saying that they they were financed with um uh, uh cash on hand uh but i'll let gary speak to um you know any um impact on LICAT.
6: uh sure paul thanks uh, yeah there i mean there's a small impact on LICAT. it was in the it was less than a well, it will be once they close it'll be uh, it'll be less than a point though in total between the two of them uh so it's uh, it's only uh, quite modest on LICAT, and that's just uh for um any goodwill that uh, comes on board. And then in particular, in the case of ArcLife, we will get a credit for um, the insurance-related actuarial pads, because they're, uh, they're sur- that's in your surplus allowance. So there's some offsetting credit there. So it, it's quite a modest impact on LICAT, And as Paul said, it's funded from cash on hand. Okay, so this
9: isn't going to be material. Um, perfect. And then just in uh, in the description for the base results for CRS, um, it, you know, longevity experience was obviously still favorable, but it was less favorable. Just wondering if there's anything in there, any trends that you're seeing. And then on the same flip side, in, in Europe, and um, Gary, I think you said in your prepared remarks, costs were inflated by higher strategy costs in Europe. Just hoping you can maybe unpack that as well. Thank you.
4: Uh, why don't uh, we have... Um uh, we'll have Arshal speak to uh, what we're seeing on the capital and risk side. And then, uh, David Harney, why don't you speak to the strategy costs that are going on in Europe? Arshal?
7: Thank you, Paul. So so turning to the claims experience in the CRS segment, uh,
4: all all
7: last year we saw elevated levels of life claims in the U.S. traditional block. um, And then offsetting that, or largely offsetting that, we saw elevated levels of death claims on the longevity books both in the Netherlands and in the UK. Um, And that trend sort of peaked in Q1 of this year where we saw a particularly elevated level of uh, excess life claims in the US um, and and also a very high level of excess uh, mortality on the longevity books. Um, That trend did continue into Q2, but at a lower level. So we were down in terms of excess um, longevity uh, benefit as well as life claims in in Q2 relative to Q1 this year. Um, And the straight year-over-year quarterly comparisons were were the same as well. Um, So mortality was adverse this quarter, but less adverse in the traditional block than the same quarter last year. And longevity was favorable again this quarter, but less favorable than a year ago. And we're seeing improving trends in all of the markets as the vaccines kick in um, and the death rates start to fall. And there's some promising signs in July but as paul indicated in the early part of the discussion here um you know we still have a watching brief on this or whatever um and we, we don't think this is all behind us or whatever but the trends are certainly improving um, and i'll turn it over to david to answer the europe part of the question
10: yeah so, so just on the europe on, on the expenses uh like we have ongoing strategic development costs um in in ireland uh germany and the uk but we did have some one-off costs in in this quarter. So those costs were related to completing the ARC acquisition, which was of a modest enough size, so then I think uh, most people will be aware that uh, Phoenix had some other books uh, up for sale um, that that didn't proceed in the end, but we had um, some costs associated with, with investigating that also. Okay, great, thank you.
0: Our next question comes from Paul Holden of CIBC. Please go ahead.
10: Thank you. Good afternoon. Just want to ask another question on uh, on M power given your 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 answers to prior questions. I mean, my takeaway from this kind of discussion on the earnings growth is it seems like incremental revenues pretty much dropping direct to the bottom line. Is that the correct takeaway, and is that also a relevant conclusion uh, going forward?
4: Uh, I'll perhaps start off uh, there, uh, Paul. Um, I think we're seeing strong leverage in that business. And, um, you know, saying that all the incremental revenue is a direct drop might be an overstatement. We're seeing the benefit of, you know, markets rising as well. But you know, Ed was talking about the strong expense discipline at Empower. So maybe Ed you can provide a bit of context of the leverage we see in this business.
8: Yeah, I mean it's a, it's clearly a, a scale business. And um you know, we have a I think a very good operating discipline and model. And um you know, we're also not only are we seeing good cost controls, but we're seeing really strong revenue per participant. And um and that's in part uh, a, a contribution from the market, but it's also the fact that customers are aggregating more of their assets with us. So existing participants rolling in outside assets into their existing defined contribution plan, or into uh, an IRA that they might hold with us. So we're we're seeing the the leverage sort of on on both sides. We're seeing really strong growth in on the revenue. Per, Per participant revenue per customer side, but we're also seeing the benefits of the scale that we have and the fixed nature of the business where it is it is delivering the flow through that you that you referenced and and we do we do expect that to to continue
10: okay. So I think I got it. If if it's sort of existing clients and that sort of that consolidation of assets, as you talked about, then it may not be, you know, one for one in terms of revenue to bottom line, but pretty close. But if it's a new, new corporate customer, new client, win, then you wouldn't get the same, exactly the same translation. Is that, is that correct? Well, you have
8: upfront expenses associated with bringing those clients on from an acquisition standpoint. Um, but... You know, if you look at the, you know, our average customer stays with us sixteen, seventeen years, and so um, while you have that upfront expense, um, you know, those plans and those participants contribute contribute favorably to the bottom line within a relatively short period of time. Understood.
10: Last quarter, um, there was a reference to asset and client retention uh, with Mass Mutual tracking higher than planned. Um, Is that still the case, or is it kind of normalized now in line with expectation?
4: Uh, Ed, that question's for you for sure.
8: Yeah, Paul, I'd say it's still really early in the process uh, at this stage, but um, the the short answer is we are running ahead of plan. Uh, but, But a lot of those customers' decisions are yet to be made, and so that will play out over the next several months. As uh, I think we shared with you in the past, we're going to begin the process of migrating co- customers in the third quarter of this year, and that will carry over until the third quarter of next year. Uh, but we feel really confident about where things stand at this point, the reception that we've received from advisors who are uh, advising on those mass match- mutual plans, as well as the customers themselves. So um, the team is very confident about where we stand now in terms of our ability to to, to be successful in retaining the client base. But yes, we are running ahead of our target at this stage.
10: Okay, okay, good to hear. Uh, Last question is related to the U.S. 400 million line of credit repayment you highlighted that took place in in July. Um, Just want to understand the funding for that. Will that impact uh, LICAT or is it funded from the Hold Co? And then the second part of the question is, with the prudential transaction, you expected financial leverage on close to be around 36%. Did that incorporate this US $400 million uh, repayment or not?
4: Uh, Gary, that
6: question's for you. Sure. Uh, yeah. So first off, the uh, the repayment was funded out of uh, out of the U.S. Um, so again, some of this would have been um, cash at the U.S. Uh, Lifeboat Holding Company. Um, and then some of it would have been dividended up from uh, uh, Great West Life Annuity, the, the Empower Insurance Company, the uh, um, Great West Life Annuity, that would have been dividended up in the quarter. So the funding was that it didn't have an impact on LICAP. Um it's just uh, funded from, uh, from our U.S. Uh, uh, sources of cash. And obviously, that business has been performing, and it generates a, a fair bit of cash. Um, and, and then, uh, so the second part of your question, when we were looking at the uh, Prudential Financing uh, we had actually anticipated not just the 400, but actually we have anticipated that we would pay off the remaining 100 million of that facility um, uh, as, as part of our overall uh, comment on leverage once the the deal is closed. So we'd assumed that the full amount would be paid off by the time the uh, the uh, prudential transaction closes, and certainly we're well on the way to that. Got it. Okay. Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from Nigel D'Souza of Veritas Investment Research. Please go ahead.
11: Thank you. Good afternoon. I wanted to follow up on uh, your experience gains uh, and losses this quarter, and you mentioned one of the factors being favorable morbidity experience in your uh, Canadian segment. And you know, my understanding would be that you know dental and health claims would track higher as restrictions are lifted. Uh, so, could you highlight some of the trends you're seeing on on the claims side, and do you expect morbidity experience, or when do you expect morbidity experience to move towards neutral as uh, as things reopen up?
4: Uh, Gary, why don't you start with that? Uh, perhaps uh, Jeff can provide a bit of insight into uh, um, our our go-forward expectations.
6: Uh, sure. Yeah, there were uh, there were uh, gains in Canada on the. Um, on the morbidity side, the, the health and disability side. Um, and now some of that, I think, is, is really have to think about when the quarter started. So the, uh, the easing up in uh, um, in a number of places in Canada, I think of Ontario in particular, but some other places, the easing up was later in the quarter. So I think uh, you're still getting uh, some of that uh, lockdown impact uh, in the quarter. Uh, so that would certainly, that's the one thing I would call out before uh, handing over to uh, to Jeff on on uh, where they're looking at the moment. Yeah, just to pick up there, uh, Gary and Nigel. Um, on on the disability side, uh, you know, we continue to see strong management in that area. Incidents uh, remain stable. Um, through some work we've done on artificial intelligence, uh, some of the tools and that we've been able to uh, uh, give to our disability managers is working well with uh, with with our customers. So. Uh, you know that 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 remains strong on the health and dental I think I think Gary coined it well I mean due to restrictions you know and maybe apprehension it it has had it has led to some mild uh, uh, experience gains in the short term but uh, uh, but the lower experience rating you know may lead to some lower margins in the future but not material
11: Okay. That makes sense. And if I could uh, just end on a question uh, on the components of your experience gains, when I look at uh, the breakdown here, yield enhancement was by far the largest contributor. And could you help me understand, you know, on a segment basis, um, how is that allocated? Is there a particular segment that would have benefited from that component uh, more in this quarter, or is it uh, evenly distributed?
4: Uh, Gary, you should take that one.
6: Sure. Yeah, in terms of the yield enhancement, uh, this quarter, and, and it's, it's often the case, but uh, particularly this quarter, it was uh, it's primarily Canada and, uh, and Europe. And, and within Europe, it was mostly the UK. Um, I, I don't have the exact split, uh, but it would have been um, maybe uh, 60%, two-thirds Canada, and then the rest uh, in uh, in the UK, or in Europe, primarily the UK. So that gives you a rough idea. And that's uh, you would often see Canada and uh, uh, Europe being the main drivers on on yield enhancement.
11: Okay, got it. So the U.S. Uh, 59 million isn't really reflective of, of the yield enhancement component there. Is that is that fair?
6: No, there's I think there's very little in uh, in yield enhancement. They they would have had some uh, some gains I think on some uh, asset upgrades. It wouldn't be in the yield enhancement uh, column. I don't don't recall there being much if anything on yield enhancement in the U.K. Uh, sorry, in the U.S. Uh, at this period. And just the nature of the, the liabilities there, there's there's not that much uh, scope for yield enhancement. Got it. Okay, that
11: makes sense. Thank you.
0: Once again, if you have a question, please press star, then one. Our next question comes from Mario Mendoka of TD Securities. Please go ahead.
5: Good afternoon. Paul, this might be most appropriate for you. It relates to Putnam and how Putnam fits into... The overall strategy of Great West Life. Uh, what will be helpful to understand is if Putnam <clears throat> is really just a standalone business within Great West Life or if it has any direct uh, tie-ins or is integrated in some way into the strategic imperative across the organization, either let's say Empower or Personal Capital. So how would you characterize Putnam, standalone or integrated?
4: Um, I would characterize Putnam as a strong partner with um, our other businesses around the globe. Um, Putnam has some very strong uh, performing capabilities and we benefit from those on sell-through in our wealth management offerings. Um, But you you wouldn't position it as proprietary because it's separately branded and Putnam competes with those strong offerings into those various um, channels. So Empower would benefit from that our European operations, and our Canadian operations have some strong Putnam mandates that are, you know, we benefit from the performance and the flows there. So it's a, I would characterize it as a strong partner.
5: I uh, a related question then. From an expense perspective, uh, does Putnam um, absorb some of the expenses of the overall organization? What, what I mean by this is if Putnam were not part of the overall Great West Life business, would expenses – throughout the organization necessarily have to increase that that's something you can think you can think about
4: yeah i you know anytime uh if, if it was not part there i guess there could always be that sort of an impact but i don't tend to look at it in that way i look at putnam as a uh, strong performing um asset manager for their clients uh for putnam clients i see it as a um Having some capabilities that we have sell-through opportunities across the group, and I also see it as a business that uh, has potential to be scaled. Uh, you know, we're seeing some organic benefits there, but also potential to be scaled uh, as if we could look at some transactions to scale it up where we could unlock value. And um, that is kind of this—that's the strategy we're on, and we remain on strategy. So I don't tend to think of it uh, in the terms that you're outlining.
9: Thank you.
0: This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Mr. Mann for any closing remarks.
4: Uh, thank you very much, Ariel. Well, listen, I'd like to thank everyone for attending our Q2 call. Um, feel free to reach out to our IR team if you have any follow-up questions. And I hope everyone can take some time to enjoy the summer uh, in a safe and uh, safe way with your families. And we uh, look forward to connecting with you um, at in Q3 for our call in November. Take care.